0: The following class was held at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.
1: Okay, so now it's time for some questions and answers. We uh, got these questions from several of you, um, and we'll just let either one, both, however you want to handle it. I feel a little like Oprah up here. Do you feel a little bit like that? Like, what? It's all right. We've done this before, so you can. Okay, good. I have not. It's a little bit strange. <laughs> um, number one, why do you think discipleship within the church is so important? Um, I can start off. Yeah, I think it's important because
0: right before Jesus went back up to heaven, that's the command he gave to the disciples who were standing there looking on as he was about to send up, ascend up into heaven. And we know that to be the great commission that he said to go there for and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he commanded. And so it's very important because it is the, the commission that Jesus gave us. Um, to go and first evangelize as we are going, sharing the gospel with those we come in contact with, and then teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. So it's, it's really basic to the Christian walk uh, of how do we learn how to love God, right, and love others and obey all that Jesus commanded is by watching other people, and um, so it's it's the way that Jesus kind of set forth a plan for his church of how the church would grow and build. Yeah, I, I would echo all of that. Um, I, I will say that I love that that
2: great commission is an every Christian thing, mm-hmm. right? It's not relegated to men only, or women only, or adults or children only. It's it's all Christians, young, old, male, female. Um, and I love that that's the way that the Lord just builds his church. I mean, we see that in acts, right? We see the flourishing of the church as they're fulfilling that Mm
0: -hmm. commandment.
2: Every Christian is doing that and their discipleship is part of that.
1: What, what do you think are the reasons that stop women from seeking out discipleship relationships?
2: I'll take that one. I know for me when I was growing up, um, there were a couple of things. One is I just didn't know what that was supposed to look like, right? I had this discipleship, you know, it was this big, like, word of what does this have to be? Is it super formal? Do we have to talk about certain things? And it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized, no, it's just doing life together and doing that intentionally, Um, And sometimes we see lots of specificity there, right? We might disciple through a particular book of the Bible or on a particular topic. But sometimes, like Julia was saying, it's just doing life and watching one another and growing and learning. Um, So I think it's the the unknown of of what that is as part of it. I think the other part is maybe it feels like uh, if someone approaches us to be discipled, what, what does that mean? Does, do I have to like be at a certain point in my Christian walk to be able to pour into someone who's younger? No, you just have to love Jesus, abide in Jesus, right? Um, it doesn't have to be this crazy thing. Um, but I think those are maybe two of it that were for me. I don't know if you had anything else.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could add to that. It's just maybe, um, there's that fear of, of what you're saying. And so fearing that they're not prepared or they don't know what to do, and therefore they're not nudged to take the initiative. And so I think back on discipleship relationships that I had uh, from the time I was like in the ninth grade through college, a lot of the the relationships were came about through the leadership in the local church. You know, at the time we called it Sunday school, now it's called small groups. Uh, but our Sunday school teacher was discipling us. And then in college um, had uh, a minister who was leading and wanted to intentionally create opportunities for people to be discipled. And so if there are those um those fears in people, maybe it'd be helpful if the the church comes alongside and creates uh, opportunities for people to disciple one another. So this college minister that I had, um, he was also over another ministry of young adults. And so he began to pair the young adults with the college people in the college. And so I was discipled by a woman who was like, I was 18 and she was 25, 26, 27. She was about to go on the mission field, but before she did that for a year, she discipled me. And so, just some pairing of that intentionality of church leadership kind of helping church members who may not feel equipped to find those relationships.
1: The next question you've answered a little bit, but um, it's, I don't feel like I have it together enough to be a disciple maker. What should I do or should I think differently about that?
0: Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you are in Christ, you're, you're born again, you are growing in the word Uh, If you're seeking to daily seek the Lord in his word and in prayer, then the Lord's spirit is teaching you something that you can pass along to someone else. And so it can be a more informal discipleship relationship, you know, uh, with children teaching your children what the Lord has taught you. Um, just speaking to one another. Like Kristen and I were colleagues and we don't attend the same church, but we go to lunch often. And, you know, just things that she says to me informally are, have, have, an impact on who I am as a Christian. And I would hope vice versa that we, you know, in some sense, we are influencing one another in godliness. And so viewing yourself as if you are in Christ, you have the spirit of God, the spirit of God is at work in you. As you read his word and you pray, you are going to have something that's going to speak into the life of another Christian, surely. And so viewing yourself as, as, as a, you know, someone who's being formed into the image of Christ and you share that with others.
2: Yeah, I I smiled a little bit. I think you saw as, as you asked that question because I'm like, girl, none of us have it together. So <laughs> right? it, it's, it's one of those where, but I think even about my own people who have discipled me, um, we've gone through seasons where they haven't had it all together, but that makes it so much more real, right? If we're discipled by somebody who mm-hmm. we think you just have everything easy in life. You have no struggles. How am I going to share my struggles with you? Right? I mean, it's it's less authentic, maybe is a good word. Um, I think there's certainly a boundary there. I'm a counseling professor. I teach my counseling students. There's a boundary, right, that you set when you got your own problems, not trying to help somebody with theirs. Um, but I think there's this, like, rawness and authenticity that comes from recognizing like, we're all works in progress. We're all clay that's being molded and shaped, and we all go through seasons of struggle. We can identify with that. And, and by God's grace, and he puts a spirit in us, we learn from that and we share that with others. I think I'd rather be in a discipleship relationship, mm-hmm. to a certain extent, uh, with somebody who's struggling like I struggle, mm-hmm. right? To be, to be real with.
1: What would, what would you say this isn't on the list (laughs) we're just talking now y'all just Just having a conversation because we're having a conversation (laughs) uh no but uh what would you say to those of us who have been hurt in church or just hurt in general and I think um just where we are as a society right now you don't want to open yourself up you'd rather sit behind you know the social media or something else as opposed to open yourself up to that. Can you encourage us and, or those of us who are that way? Um, maybe not everyone, but some of us, I know, lean um, with that. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, the first thing that I would say is I'm so sorry because it should not be that way, right? We as Christians, Christ-like people should be demonstrating grace and kindness and love towards one another. So when we've been hurt in church or outside of church, know that that goes against God's original design for how we we live with one another. That's not right. It's not good. So I think we acknowledge that first. Second, I think there is a level at which we understand that when we've been hurt, trust has been broken, and we have to rebuild trust. And that's okay. Uh, oftentimes in my counseling, we'll use an analogy of a brick building. And when trust is broken or hurt happens, it's like a wrecking ball comes and it knocks down that whole brick building. We can't just take that whole building and set it back on the foundation because the bricks have scattered we have to rebuild that building brick by brick by brick. I call them trust bricks. <laughs> so we have to put those back. So it, it, it's okay if there's a level of hesitation and a level of trust that has to be rebuilt, but we also have to be intentional about putting those bricks back so we can take little steps forward and rebuild that building, rebuild that trust that takes vulnerability We get that. Uh, But we don't also have to assume that we just plop that building back down. It's okay that that takes
1: a little bit of time.
0: I don't think I'd have anything else to add to that.
1: (laughs) Thank you. How do you think Titus 2 should be lived out in the church?
0: I think that's a great question. And a few years ago when I moved here... um, and I moved here in 2018 to serve at Southeastern and was just thinking through what does ministry to women look like? What should that look like in the church? Because um, there are different people over over the last 10 years, over the last decade, or even Jen Wilkin wrote a blog article saying that ministry to women had, over the last decade, kind of is going through a renaissance. Um, And so I think that Titus 2 really should, first of all, we should look back at Titus 1 uh, and see kind of the context of what is going on there. And so it's helpful to understand that Titus, the book of Titus, was written from Paul to Titus, who was a co-laborer of Paul's. He was a church planter. And so Paul is writing to Titus and he's saying, hey, here's what should what a church should look like. And so in chapter one, he's talking about the elders and the pastors and how they should protect the church from false doctrine. And he spends chapter one kind of reiterating sound doctrine. And then he transitions into chapter two and he says, teach what accords with sound doctrine and basically goes into godly life. And that's where discipleship in the local church takes place. And so Paul writing to Titus is saying, hey, pastors should make sure that discipleship is taking place in the local church. And here's some ways that this should be happening. It should be happening with older men and younger men and older women and younger women. And sometimes we talk about that and and we say, well, uh, you know, does that mean older women in their age? literal age or their spiritual maturity. I think it can be read both ways. I think he actually meant older women in age, Uh, but we want to also have older women who are mature in the faith, who can teach a type of life that accords with sound doctrine. And so women can't teach how to be godly in a life that accords with sound doctrine unless they know Sound doctrine, and that goes back to what Jen Wilkin was saying of this renaissance in ministry to women. I think that, um, for at least things that I have witnessed in my young younger days. Sometimes uh, events for women just are not focused on the Word. And like tonight we've sung the Word, we've been in the Word together, but I've been at events where that wasn't the case. And so I think that women need to recognize that they too can know sound doctrine Uh, and then out of their love for God and love for His Word and, and growing in their knowledge of doctrine, then that informs them on how to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Yeah, I would I would echo all of that.
2: I think um, the only thing that I would add is I think that this um, kind of model that Paul is giving Titus, older men teaching younger men, older women teaching younger women. First, I don't, I don't think it's exclusive, right? We as women can learn from men, men can sure. learn from women. So I don't think it's exclusive. But I think what he's getting at is just the way that Like we as women identify with one another, right? So my husband knows what it means to be a husband and a daddy. He doesn't really know what it means to be a wife and a mama. He knows from what I tell him. Uh, But me learning from, y'all laugh because you know how that goes, right? Um, So, but, but me learning from maybe a mama with teenagers or grown children who has been through my current stage of life will identify with one another a little differently. So while it should absolutely be grounded in sound doctrine, I think Paul is also giving us this kind of common sense identifier, right? Uh, that we can know one's experience better because we have similar experiences. Again, not exclusive, but just a helpful model that's kind of common sense
0: based in yeah, many ways. That's really good.
1: How do you counsel or care for someone that is paralyzed with anxiety? Oh, That's people's faces one.
2: are flashing. In front of That's a
1: hard one. Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> yeah, so um, a, a lot depends on individual circumstances. I want to say that as the disclaimer, um, but really trying to understand what what is underneath that. Anxiety. So I'm of the belief that our anxiety has messages or voices. Now, hang in with me while I explain that. (laughs) Um, I'm not talking in some creepy, crazy way. But what I mean is when we get anxious about things, there are messages, there are lines that go through our mind. Such and such, I'm going to lose such and such, or I won't have fill in the blank that I need. Some sort of flavor of that. And it gets so embedded in us that we begin to believe that that's truth and that that's reality. And I think there's a reason why in Philippians 4 when Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, present your requests to God, petition the Lord with thanksgiving. The next verse is therefore think about what is true because our anxiety lives in a future that's unknown, right? So when I'm spending time with... Uh, a woman especially who's struggling with anxiety I want to dive deep in that are you believing a lie what is that message what is the voice that's playing over and over and over in your mind that's that's wrong and identifying those um, not to say just pray more or just believe better or just abide uh, but but no truth, abide in the trueness of God, the trueness of reality. Um, there's my like two minute answer that I give hours and hours of lecture on in class. <laughs> but there, that's what it boils down to.
1: Very good.
0: Yeah, I can add an example. I can't speak to it as a counselor, but I can speak out of my own experience with with anxiety. I'm, I would venture to say that all of us deal with it in some form or fashion Um, for me specifically becoming aware of the specific thing that causes me anxiety would be fear of man and so being more public being a faculty member um, speaking and different engagements like this one this evening um, you start to have a a view of self of oh everyone's judging me and looking at me and um, is going to be considering what I'm saying and uh, you feel like you start to feel like you're under a microscope. And so for me, that would be a struggle, a fear of man. And just becoming aware of that sinful tendency um, and then seeking out, for me personally, specific scriptures that help deal with that and retrain that thinking. Um, so the fear of man is a snare, the scriptures say, but he who trusts in the Lord is safe. And so, just meditating on that and praying through that, uh, I have to add that to my prayer pretty much every day and and ask the Lord to help me not to fear man but to uh, recognize that that is a snare for me that that really the 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 evil one wants to catch me up and trap me in that, but I need to turn and trust in the Lord, and in trusting in the lord i 'm safe, and then remembering that. I serve an audience of one. I was saved and called to serve the Lord and given specific giftings to serve him. And I do that for his good pleasure and for his glory. And I have to just remind myself myself, of those things. Um, so that awareness of a specific thought pattern in retraining and thinking on truth. And so that's an example for me personally.
2: Yeah, I love that because one of the things that I draw out in class when I teach on this is that shifting of authority from experience and emotion to truth and to God's word, right? Because we're when we are anxious, ultimately what we're doing is we're putting more authority in our feelings and in our thoughts and our experiences, whereas our authority should come from the Lord who is always true, always right, Mm -hmm. to quote Philippians Mm 4.8, noble, lovely, pure, right? We should shift our words. And so what you're doing is you're reorienting Mm -hmm. that authority and and trust, yeah.
1: Very good. We have uh, talked a little bit, just a little bit, about those who have been hurt, and we've talked a little bit about anxiety. Let me ask you one more biggie, okay? How can we come alongside one another... Loving one another by pointing out sin without feeling harsh. And how do we hear it well when we are the receiver of that counsel?
0: Yeah, I wish I had brought my Bible up here. Um, I think it's Galatians 6.1. Maybe you can help me think of it. Um, uh, can anyone read Galatians 6.1 really quickly? <laughs> you are gentle being gentle in uh, restoring and, and recognizing um, for those who have been caught in sin if yeah is in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently but watch yourself or you also may be tempted mhm yeah so just a self awareness and a state of humility in um, And understanding that we, too, can so easily be caught up and fall into sin. And so I think that that verse helps me think through dealing with people and and not dealing in a harsh way. Right. I think about that,
2: the treat others as you would want to be treated. Mm -hmm. Um, No one likes to be rebuked. No one likes to be corrected. Um, So the second half of your question is really on point here. How would we receive that? And so how do we say it in a way that's kind and gentle um, and loving? Because it it is loving to correct sin, right? If I let my kiddos run around without any discipline or correction, that's not ultimately loving towards them. Um, so it can be done in a way that's loving. Um, but when we hear it, I think we need to hear it and receive it and evaluate it um, and if there is merit, change, right? Change um, our behavior, change our, our thoughts. Um, and when it's not so kindly given, how would we want to be responded to as well holds true. Um, how do we love one another in those ways?
1: Yeah. Thank you, ladies, so much.
0: Thank you for listening to this class from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay Varina, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this class to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more classes, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.